it's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Good evening, North Carolina, and thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Linda Lewis. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we are the Lewis family here to help you tonight with any of your financial questions, whether it be tax planning, investment planning, cash flow planning, estate planning, any financial planning issues that are on your heart about your own financial world, you need to always remember that your money matters because your financial future is at stake. So call us tonight on our open lines, 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's happening in the market this past week? Wow. It's it depends on how you look at it, actually. At first glance, the stocks sort of pulled back a little bit. That's because of geopolitical concerns, which are, seem to be weighing on the investors. We're still above 20,000. The Dow Jones closed at 20,453, but there was a slight pullback. At the same time, gold, which is often perceived as a safe haven during times of economic or geopolitical stress, rose to its highest price since the presidential election. But very interestingly, the volatility index surged 30% this week, and that is an indication that people are nervous. That's not necessarily an indication on the investment side. It's more a nervous volatility index, and that's really interesting. It's the highest rate since the uh, November elections. Uh, And what might be causing that? Well, they're concerns, concerns about conflict in Syria, Concerns about tensions in North Korea, concerns about the French upcoming presidential election. So that's uh, with regard to the geopolitical, uh, economic front. But there were several positive developments that continued to unfold despite the elevated risk outlook. For example, the oil market. Now, oil closed over $53.18 a barrel. The global oil market it appears is very close to balance. Even the Department of Energy reported a weekly decline in oil inventories, which echoes the findings of an oil market returning to balance. And at the same time, early earnings reports have underscored the health of the U.S. economy. 
there are very high levels of business optimism. Overall companies in the S&P 500 index are expected to report a very strong earnings increase in the first quarter. That's the fastest pace since the fourth quarter of 2011. So all of these things should sustain investor confidence, while prospective pro-growth legislation from Washington should also boost economic growth projections. And all in all, we're still still seeing a very positive outlook. Very good. And uh, very good outlook and very good weather. We well, are having the, here in the Carolinas. Well, let me let me come back to that though for a second because it depends which set of eyeglasses you're looking at. You're looking through. It's very good if you're looking at it from a long-term financial planning perspective. It's not so good if you're looking at it from a uh, a trader's perspective. Uh, traders are different. They're speculators. We're financial planners. So from our perspective. For those who want to plan for financial independence, it's very good for us. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you've got a question on your mind, call us on the open lines right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. So, Doug, Linda, you know, now is a good time to think about refreshing your retirement strategy. Fewer than half of all investors have tried to calculate how much they'll need in retirement. However, those who have taken the time to do so are more confident about their prospects. Yeah, I would say if you're currently investing in your employer's retirement plan, then you recognize the value of putting money aside for your future. And that's a great start. But Are you investing enough? Do you know how much you're going to need? That's a different set of questions. And you you need to set specific retirement goals. How would you like your retirement to look like? The answer will impact how much you need to invest. By setting specific goals, you'll have a better idea of what it will take to retire in the way that you'd like. And then you'll be able to move forward more confidently. Yeah, this means knowing what it's going to cost knowing what your living expenses are so that you'll know how much you'll need to be accumulated to pay for those living expenses. In other words, not only do you need investment planning, you need cash flow planning advice. One of the things that we at Lewis Financial Management are very strong in, cash flow planning advice. So call us at Lewis Financial Management this week. As a matter of fact, we'll have a face-to-face meeting with you if you call our offices, 919 972-7000. That's 919-872-7000. You know, you need to consider increasing contributions to both retirement plans and your personal investing. How How do your estimated withdrawals compare with your desired income in retirement? If it's less, don't be discouraged. You can set short term investment goals to close the gap over time. Gradually, increasing your investing can make it easier to pursue your long-term retirement goals. Yeah, and you not only do you need to look at it from that view, but you also need to look at your investment allocations. So in addition to how much you're saving, it's a good idea to review your investment allocations at least a couple of times a year. At Lewis Financial Management, all of our clients are have them reviewed quarterly. And then you have to ask questions. Are your investments aligned with your retirement goals? If not, you may need to adjust your investment mix. 
isn't that a that's a very uh, important issue with regard to people's investing and portfolios, isn't it? Because a lot of folks um, may have taken the time initially to do an allocation, but because people are busy, they don't always revisit. You know, Linda, you're very right, because I remember, I think it was last week, we had a client that had come to see us, oh, I think it was three, four years ago. That's right. And we did an investment asset allocation. We got their investment set up and everything. But for whatever reason, they didn't come back until a couple weeks ago. And when I looked at their investment allocation, they were in a high-yield bond fund, which at the time was perfect for them. Right. But if they had been coming back on a regular basis, I would have had them out of that fund long ago. And you're exactly right. You need to continue to look at your asset allocations because things that were right yesterday may be wrong tomorrow. Very good. And once you're happy with your investment strategy, you may want to make sure that your original allocations remain the same. So it's important to consider rebalancing your portfolio when your fund allocations have changed more than 5 to 10%. Rebalancing helps keep your mix of investments on track toward meeting your financial goals. And you know, the most important part is going to be you need to meet with a CFP. Planning for retirement can feel overwhelming at times. Many don't feel comfortable or don't have the time to put together their own investment mix. Fortunately, you don't have to do this alone. We are both CFPs. My father and I are both certified financial planners. So call Doug Lewis or Deborah Lewis at Lewis Financial Management. We can evaluate your personal situation objectively and help you set realistic financial goals. We can assess your progress periodically or fine tune your investment mix over time as you get closer to your goal. Well, Doug, let's take our next caller. Debbie, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Um, my husband and I are, are dickering back and forth about paying off our mortgage. Well, congratulations. My wife and I dicker a lot back and forth, don't we, Linda? <laughs> huh? We argue a lot? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but we make up, too. <laughs> we make up. Well, he's out of town, so it's easy for me to make this call. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Don't let the sun go All down. All right, what's about anger. the mortgage? <laughs> Uh, well, it's about twenty-eight thousand. It's nineteen years old, and um, our the people, who, our lawyer plus the people that we've been talking to say that it's probably wise to uh, not pay it off because we need the tax uh, advantage. Um, he's retired, and I'm not. I'm making around thirty-five. You make thirty-five thousand yeah. income, and he makes how much on retirement? Uh, forty-five. He makes forty-five thousand. You've got a seventy-five thousand dollar combined family income. Yeah. He's how old? Fifty-nine, sixty. He's sixty years old, and you're fifty-nine. Fifty-nine years old, and the question that you're arguing about or trying to con- to come to grips with is: Should you pay off your mortgage? He's trying it. He wants to pay it off. How much does he have in an investment portfolio? Oh, let's see. I would say. We've probably got more than 300000 that we can put our hands on. More than 300000 yeah. And what's the value of the home? Oh, uh, probably two twenty-five plus. You're in $25,000. Uh, the investments that you've got, 300000 are they liquid investments like mutual funds and so on? Uh, I would say all but, well, the 
there's probably 60,000 in IRAs, and uh, I've got 55,000 in an annuity. But the rest of it's all pretty liquid. And All right. Now, I, what I'm going to tell you, listen very carefully to what I tell you, so don't go back and say and have him do it himself. But with the help of a certified financial planner, uh-huh. he could, and you could, redesign your portfolio so that you are covered for any type of situational emergency and so forth with uh-huh. a proper asset allocation pattern. If that were the case, then you could actually refinance the home and increase the mortgage. That's what I was thinking of doing. You would get a tax deduction if you kept the liquid portion of your investment portfolio more than sufficient to any day quickly pay it off, then you would be able to have your cake and eat it too because your equity would be growing. Yes. You'd have the tax deduction. And if you did it with investments like bond funds and so forth, you yeah. could actually be producing enough income to pay the mortgage cost. With a $75,000 uh, combined family income, I think that you're prime candidates for some real financial planning. That's what I thought too. Yeah, and it's never too late to do your planning, Debbie. Thank you. So when he gets back home, let him know. (laughs) And if you'll, yeah, and you'll, if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to send you some information that might give you some direction on what information you need to get together. All right. uh, As you're using a planner. Thank you for calling, Debbie. And that number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. Eight seven two seven thousand. Thank you very, very much. All right. Take care. You're welcome. Well, that was a nice call. Well, I like her name, too. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie. Debbie girl. <laughs> well, Doug, um, one of the uh, questions that she had had to do with annuities. Well, um, I didn't hear it as a question, but it's a, but it, she said that she listed it as one of her assets. Well, Doug, um, there are some folks out there that have called and that have had um, comments about why or why not annuities as part of sound financial planning? What do you think about that? Well, and I, I guess, uh, Debbie, if you're still out there listening, uh, you, you might tune into this also. Uh, an annuity is not an investment, first of all. So when we talk about an investment portfolio, an annuity has no place in an asset allocation of an investment portfolio. An annuity legally is an insurance contract. And if you think about it, when you have insurance on your automobile, it's an insurance contract and you hope that you lose that money. The money you pay the insurance company, you really hope that you lose. You don't want to have a car accident and say, gee, I won, they paid me a lot of money. So that's an insurance contract. Insurance contracts are what we call risk transfer and they're designed to make money for the insurance company. So we don't want an annuity. An annuity is not an investment. An annuity is an insurance contract designed to make money for insurance companies. Now, when we understand that we can come to some other places where there might be a specific risk where you'd want to cover just that very risk by what's called an immediate annuity. But that's very rare, though. I I haven't had many of those in the years that we've met with people. So I would say part of what we'd be doing for Debbie, she and her husband come to see us. We're also going to take a look at what about cashing in that annuity and getting some real investments. That's right. I mean, the the transfer of that risk that you might 
outlive your money can be thwarted in so many other ways that sometimes the confusion is spoken as if it's a fact. Oh, an annuity is an investment. Well, an annuity isn't an investment. That's right. That, that makes me so upset when I hear on the radio and on television now people talking about annuities as investments. They're not investments. Right. They're a wrapper that may or may not hold investment products inside of it. But they're insurance wrappers. And they are insurance contracts. And you that, have a relationship with an insurance company. That's exactly what they are. They're, they're insurance contracts. That annuity contract that you get when you buy the annuity you look at it and you'll see all the way through it's an insurance product. So I think Debbie could go ahead and do well to try and see if she can come out of that annuity and get a real investment as part of her investment allocation. So if that's your question tonight in regard to annuities, whether or not they fit into your world, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And if you have questions about your investments, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, what, what else is new in the world of investments? Well, speaking of unusual products that are out there, which are somewhat baffling to people, annuities, of course, are ones that we know are baffling because they're being promoted as investments. But there's another one out there that's also very unusual called REITs. And REITs are definitely in, they're definitely investments. Matter of fact, they have become so popular over the last couple of years, they now have their own index like the Dow Jones index. And REITs stand for real estate. That's right. You spell it R-E-I-T, and that stands for? Real Estate Investment Trusts. So we have stocks, which are trusts of real estate that trade on the stock exchange. Some of the most recognized names that we know are out there, and they're actually real estate stocks. That's what they are. And there was a very interesting... uh, sort of a question and answer discussion with some of the leaders in REITs yeah. and in the world of real estate investment trusts. These were mutual fund managers that just deal with the world of real estate funds in their mutual funds. It was very interesting. There were four of the most well-known managers out there, and REIT investors themselves had to contend with a lot of surprises in 2016, political shakeups at home and abroad, interest rate volatility, Property valuation concerns were among the many factors that buffeted the markets throughout the year. So this particular magazine called REIT Magazine recently spoke with the portfolio managers of some of the 2016's top performing real estate investment mutual funds to discover how they navigated last year and the opportunities and challenges that they see for 2017. Some of the questions that they were asking these Experts were um, highlighted, and one of them was, what was the key to generating attractive returns in 2016? And one of the four managers said, our willingness to pivot helped him. He said, we think 2016 demonstrated how having an active management approach can genuinely work for real estate investors and REIT portfolios. Another manager said, ignoring the white noise really helped them. 
Our fundamental philosophical basis is only to focus on things that are knowable. And the third manager, uh, he answered the question by saying, and the question, of course, was why was 2016 so powerful? Because they had very big numbers. Right. They had been projecting high single digits, and and many of them ended up with double digits and high double digits. Very high double digits. It was really. And so that's what they were asking. How did you do it? So this third manager said, it was also good to have some preferred stocks. He said, I also had a reasonably sized allocation of mortgage REITs during the year. Yeah, and this and this did reflect in, in one of the conference calls that you and I had recently with a manager of a REIT mutual fund. He said he, too, was not expecting it to be such a great year. That's right. Well, another question. What are you focusing on as you position your fund for 2017? Well, the first manager came back and said, what we're trying to do is to get a handle on what's being said by the new administration and Congress regarding whether there'll be more stimulus added to the economy. And another manager said interest rates and return opportunities remain challenging in many foreign locations. In a less border-restricted world, he sees a continuing trend of capital moving from those environments to the U.S., Yeah, I like that answer. I really did, because we have to trust these managers to being the experts of the experts. And in their specific field about the real estate investing, uh, I really liked the, the, the view about let's look at the United States of America. I remember there was another question that was asked, do you anticipate that the REIT super performers of 2016 are going to continue their run in 2017? Well, one manager said the things that create permanent advantage, for instance, the hard to replicate portfolios of data centers and tower companies, those produced, those were the outperformers in 2016. We think those same things produce outperformance pretty much permanently because the tenants have to lease a space. There was another manager who said for him, He believes that industrial is likely to continue to do well. So that's industrial real estate. He said he feels it's going to continue to do well. He said you're not really going to see a slowdown in market rents for uh, for the industrial REITs. Another notable question was, lastly, what is one big issue you are watching in 2017? Yeah, that first manager said recovery in the demand for all manner of housing including apartments, single-family rentals, for-sale housing. All of that's going to surprise many people. The other key issue is the releasing of legacy retail space. That's very interesting. And, you know, it's really interesting because when we start talking about legacy space, some people may not know what we're referring to. So let's take a second. Legacy retail office buildings or real estate of any kind. It's legacy. It's now called that because it was purchased before the crash. And so real estate that was purchased before 2008 is now called legacy real estate because as the values dropped, a lot of the investors in those suffered bad. We know, of course, people at the beach in North Carolina had the same experience in everything. But that real estate, legacy real estate, is going to be rented up now. Uh-huh. And that's what they're talking about. What used to be a lemon is going to be a lemonade. Uh-huh. Well, good, good. Another manager said he's looking at potential tax law changes. That's what he's watching for 2017. 
You know, it's funny because uh, the another manager, he said the majority of dedicated REIT investors tend to be NAV centric, but generalist investors are more cash flow and earning sensitive. I like to consider chickens and eggs when I'm talking about investments in the office, as many of our clients know. Actually, all of our clients know. Many of our listeners know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do know about your chickens and eggs. (laughs) But if you think about an investment as a chicken and the income as an egg, then a REIT stock, a real estate stock, you could be looking at the value of that stock going up and down, or you could be looking at the income. You could be looking at the chicken or looking at the eggs. Well, REITs are really attractive for egg investors, Uh the income. They want that high, high income. Uh And I think that's what that third manager was talking about, that that's really going to be the big overriding stability for the REIT market in 2017. Well, how can you blame people who are looking for income for not looking at REITs? So if you're listening tonight and wondering, where can I get income? REITs are a great way to to have an investment that produces, like Doug was saying, that analogy of the egg, a principal, um, an investment that is producing a monthly or quarterly check that's coming in. When you're seeing CDs at 1%, 2%, things like that, and REITs that are paying 5%, 6%, 7%, you have to understand that's why people like REITs. That's right. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises from Lewis Financial Management. What does your portfolio look like? Do you have questions about your financial plans? Call us at Lewis Financial Management to schedule your appointment. Our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Again, call us to schedule your appointment. Or maybe you want a second look at your portfolio. We can help. And if you have questions about your financial planning, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Doug and Deborah, it's interesting, isn't it, how people want to invest even in volatile markets. That's right, Linda. That's exactly right. And we talked about in the opening, the volatility index, which is uh, really um, surging right now. But there is a way to make money and not necessarily be a speculator if you're playing it right. A recent study reported that during the 20-year period ending... Uh, right at the beginning of 2016, the annualized returns for the average stock investor lacked those of the unmanaged S&P 500 composite index by more than 3% a year. Now, one reason for this is that many investors try to time the market, which can actually hurt them. Buying low and selling high is easier said than done. It's much better to focus on contributing to your investment portfolio on a regular basis. I like that, Doug, because that's what we focused on in our practice. That's right, in and our personal life. And that's what we've advised our clients, that it's better to focus on contributing on a right regular basis. And through a process called dollar cost averaging, an investor contributes the same amount at regular intervals, for example, 
$300 a month, regardless of whether stock prices rise or fall. And as a result, investors can have a lower average price per share. Yeah, a program of regular investing can help take the emotions out of investing when markets turn particularly volatile because your long-term strategy doesn't really change. While regular investing doesn't insure or guarantee a profit or protect against loss, dollar-cost averaging has certainly helped you weather the market declines. So when you purchase more shares when prices are low than when they're high, you end up with an average price per share that's below the average share price. Of course, you have to stick with your strategy during the bad markets as well as the good ones to reap the benefits of regular investing. Yeah, let's take an example. Let's say that you're paid twice a month and you invest $150 over each pay period. So in January 15th, you invest $150 and the share price of your mutual fund is $25. So you get six shares. Then two weeks later, you invest another $150 and the share price is now dropped to $20. So your 150 buys seven and a half shares. And then two weeks later, you invest another $150 and the share price now has dropped to $10 a share. So this time you get 15 shares. And then two weeks later, you still invest another $150, and it's gone back up to $20 a share. This time, you get seven and a half shares. So over these four periods, you invested $450s or $600, and you got 36 shares. But although the price went anywhere from $25 all the way down to $10, the average price that you paid per share was only $16.60 a share. So you really got much lower cost per share by this regular dollar cost averaging. Now, is dollar cost averaging only for smaller amounts? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we have clients who do this same thing dollar cost averaging at $10,000 a month. We call it at Lewis Financial Management, pay yourself first investing. It is dollar cost averaging. It takes the emotions out of it and it really works. Now, Linda, you and I both looked at each other and know, and some who do even more. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We have, we have some that are even a lot more than 10000 So, So, yes, it works if you're putting in $100, $1,000, or $50,000, or more. <laughs> so, Whatever you want. <laughs> that's right. And, and really, the, the goal is to do that, to lower the price per share. Well, you know, uh, Doug and Debs, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, we have some of our newlyweds or our young couples or, you know, our, our young, young adults that, you know, when you first get married, you're buying presents for each other and you're buying the new iPad or the new, um, dirt bike or, uh, you know, uh, you're buying you're presents buy- right. or right. toys, right. <laughs> adult, you know, things that, that, that you want. And when you're finished buying, you've got so many, you've got the, the widescreen TV or, you know, the new furniture, whatever it is, then you get to a point where it's like we got to put the brakes on all this spending because we don't need any more fun things, entertainment things, because we've got them all. But then a lot of our young couples or our young career-minded folks, all of a sudden they're like, we need to start planning for the future, especially when the children start coming, Right. 
And this is exactly what they do. And so, you know, at first you're spending that $300 or $600, but then you start saving it. And what happens is you, you start a new habit of saving right. and investing, dollar cost averaging. And over 10, 15, 20 years, what happens? You, you accumulate. accumulate an awful lot, and you eventually realize, gee, I became financially independent. Oops, I'm a middle-class millionaire. I'm a middle-class millionaire. How did this happen? How did this happen? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I think it's great. It's, and that's the story. Great. Yeah, that's the story we hear in our office. Do you have questions about your money? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, what else is new for the folks are cons- that are considering retiring? Well, if you are considering retiring, now what? Do you have enough money saved to retire comfortably? Which discounts should you tap into first? And what should you do with your investments after you retire? This was all in an article by Matthew Frankel. I thought it was really interesting. I would say the first thing you'll need to do is work with a certified financial planner to answer these and other questions. If you've been responsibly saving for your retirement over the years, when congratulations. However, while successfully building this nest egg is quite an accomplishment, remember that what you do after you retire can be just as crucial to your long-term financial health as what you did to prepare for your retirement. In other words, after you retire, you need to have a plan. Yeah, if you're getting close to retirement, now is a good time to evaluate your situation and figure out how much income you'll need after retirement. Start coming up with a post-retirement budget in order to get a more accurate idea of your income needs. So do some number crunching and see how much you'll need. Begin with what you currently spend. Know your living expenses. These can be things you pay on a monthly basis or a non-monthly basis. Yeah, and now is also a good time to go to the Social Security Administration's website and estimate how much income you can expect to receive from Social Security. You then subtract this amount from your estimated income need, along with any income you'll have from a pension or other sources, and you'll now have an estimate of how much income will need to come from your investments, your 401ks, your IRAs, and your personal investment portfolio. Now you'll need to know what size of investment portfolio can produce that income. When when we meet with you, we can help you do that. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises at Lewis Financial Management on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us to schedule an appointment at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. One common mistake that retirees and pre-retirees make is getting far too conservative with their investments. Specifically, many people aim to reduce risk by moving out of stocks and into bond investments. Now, while it's true that bonds produce a steady, predictable stream of income, there are a few problems with this approach. First of all, investing all your money in bonds virtually guarantees that your portfolio won't keep up with inflation. If you have a million-dollar portfolio and invest it all in 30-year treasuries, well, in 30 years, your investments will be worth $1 million. So your income needs will rise as your cost of living gets more expensive but your income will stay the same. So you won't have any more assets with which to generate additional income. 
You know, this is what I call going broke safely. The need gets higher and higher, and the amount that you've got to cover that need stays the same because you think you're safe, and you just eventually have to start reducing your lifestyle. Now, secondly, and this is especially true right now, bond prices can fall dramatically as interest rates rise. And the long-dated bonds that pay the highest interest, they get clobbered the most. The value of a bond is based on the interest rate it pays. That's called the coupon rate, and that's relative to the prevailing market rates. So if you buy a 30-year treasury with a a 3% coupon and the market rate spikes to 4%, your bond could lose nearly a third of its value. Just figure that. A $100,000 bond that has a 3% coupon and the market goes up to 4%, you can lose $30,000. Now, I realize that retirees generally don't plan to sell bonds anytime soon, but if you get in a bind and you need to free up some cash, bonds are the last place you want all of your money to be. I remember we had one uh, listener that came, and oh my gosh, he had all of his eggs in one basket, all in muni bonds. <laughs> That's right. It was several million dollars of muni bonds. That was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I think he's probably lost a lot of money. That's in true. This That's market. so sad because people don't understand. They think things are safe when they're not safe. Sometimes the safest things are the riskiest, and they have no idea until after it's happened. Now, you'll need to use some strategy with your withdrawals. When you meet with us, we will develop a customized plan. Many retirees have several different account types, such as 401ks, IRAs, whether it be traditional or Roth, and regular brokerage or savings accounts. And the order you tap into those once you do decide to retire can make a big difference. Now, coming up with a financial plan for your retired life is a great first step, but it's important to reevaluate things every so, ever so often. In other words, the best thing you can incorporate into your retirement planning is adaptability. Life happens, so it's best to be prepared to adjust your strategy accordingly. Having someone there through it all is what's best. So give us a call. Call us. Call me. Call Deborah Lewis at Lewis Financial Management. Our number during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, let's take our next caller. Okay, George, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I'd like to get your opinion between the relative merits of having funds in uh, one or more mutual funds or having funds under the management of a money manager. All right. Tell me a little bit about your situation. There are different situations that I can recommend in different cases. Uh, How old are you, George? I'm 60. 60 years old. What's your income? No income. So you're living off of your investment income? Plus retirement. All right. Uh, well, you got retirement income. Right. Okay. How much is your retirement income? Oh, about uh, 40000 All right. So you've got significant retirement income. No, that's significant. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's important. We've got to get down to that point. All right. What are your living expenses? Zero, except for the groceries. Now, there's no such thing as if you well, can... Well, except for, you know, uh, I don't have any debt. Well, but I didn't ask you about debt. I wonder how much does it cost to keep you alive. I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe $1,000 a month. Well, if, well, if that's true, if all it takes is 12000 a year to support you and you're making 40000 you got lots of money left over every month. <laughs> you don't know my tax man. All right. See, you got a problem. You're not telling me all the pieces. Before I can talk to you about the mutual funds and the money management, i got to know the pieces. 
you must be spending more than 12000 a year. Well, I really don't know. Uh, I'm not an extravagant little. Most of the things I... Well, let me ask. Money. <laughs> well, let me. Well, and, and nothing wrong with that. We just need to do some planning. Let me ask you this, for example. You're saying you got about forty thousand retirement income. Is that including Social Security? Yeah. All right. And are you spending almost all of it in, once you've paid your taxes? No. You're not. All right. Uh, is your wife working, or is your wife retired? Oh uh, yeah. All right. Uh, if you're telling me that you're not real tight. That 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 your expenses are pretty much being covered by your retirement income, and you're not, and and you still have something left over. Then let's go to your assets. Now, what size assets are you talking about? How much? What do you have in different investments? Well, they all uh, in in uh, deferred type investments, four hundred one ks and IRAs. How, how much is in, how much is in the four hundred one k? Oh, a couple hundred thousand. A couple hundred thousand dollars, yeah. and in the IRAs? Oh, about another hundred. All right, and the, where are the IRAs? At a bank? Uh, no, they have some of them in mutual funds. One or two of them in bank. Most of them in mutual. Most of them in mutual funds. And the four hundred one k is that still with your ex employer? Yeah, you're right. All right. And they handle that. All right. Now you're thinking of doing what? You're thinking of taking this money away and giving? Well, it... I just really hadn't thought about doing anything. I just wanted some guidance on which way to start thinking. All right. Let me tell you what you should do. First of all, you want to fi- you want to find an independent trustee. And if you call my office, I'll give you the names of independent trustees. But you want an independent... Now, are they money managers? No. Okay. This is a trustee. Right. The trustee simply reports to the Internal Revenue Service that you are not touching the principal so they don't tax you on the principal. Right. Then you want to take your 401k money, the 200000 there, and roll that over to the trustee and set up what's called an IRA rollover account. Right. You want to take the money away from... The uh, um, any of the other trustees for the IRAs, the hundred thousand, and roll that over, and now you have it all in one place under one trustee. Right. Now the question comes: with that three hundred thousand, how do, you know? Do you go ahead and give it to a money fu- a, a a money manager or a or a set of mutual fund managers? First thing you need to realize is a money manager. I'm sorry, a mutual fund manager is a money manager. Yeah. That's exactly right. The only difference is he's generally handling a lot bigger amounts right. of money. Right. Some of the uh, mutual funds that I like, for example, the managers are handling anywhere from four to six billion dollars of money. And what you're doing when you put your money into the hands uh, or into one of those pools, of course, you're spreading your risk over a lot more securities than if you give your money directly to a money manager. So usually, I think you can do better selecting different mutual fund managers and spreading your money amongst them than you can by trying to go directly to a money manager in your situation. Well, sp- some of these money managers charge as much as 3% per year. Well, the tra- that includes commissions for, for trade. Well, actually, it doesn't. They're not allowed to take commissions. Uh, money managers can't legally take... Well, they, they don't take it, but they have to pay them to someone to do their work. Uh, yeah, there and 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 there are different ways, but but that and you're right, that's a fee, but it's not the fee that's my problem. I don't mind paying a guy for making his money, but my problem is that you cannot get very strong uh, uh, historical performances. It's okay if you're a really aggressive guy for the very aggressive individual who wants to go ahead and uh, you know roll the dice with a money manager. Let's decide how much we'll put in high risk money. 
and maybe give him twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars and let him play with it. Roll the dice. Uh, but to me, that's not the most conservative way. Certainly for a man your age. Well, uh, I see where you're coming from. I'll, I'll give you a call and we'll sit down and uh, and and look at things a little more precisely. That number is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. We're here in Raleigh, and we'll be happy to help you in any way we can. Okay. Well, George, thank you for calling us this evening. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. That's Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh. Call us if you'd like to schedule an appointment. That number to call with your questions about your situation to set up an appointment is 919 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. Visit our website at dougandlinda.com. Well, Doug, Deborah, very interest, yeah, interesting I, yeah, call well, with George. Well, you know, George is touching on another thing that's out there and being marketed very strongly: uh, the money manager using managed accounts instead of mutual funds, and he's right. The first reason I don't like the money managers generally is the fee is very high, uh, as much as 3% a year on a million-dollar portfolio. That's $30,000 a year. That's not once. That's every year. Yeah, and that's what money managers will charge. Uh, All of them will charge at least 1.5%, so that's $15,000 a year. So he's right. The second thing is you can't... Take small amounts. Most of them have minimums. They only want to work with, they say, a minimum of 500000 or 300000 or 400000 I would math, I would rather spread my money, like in George's case where he had a total of 300000 I'd rather he have something like six $50,000 investments and each investment be a mutual fund, which has maybe 50 or 100 stocks in it and is managed by a money manager. But these money man- these managers of the mutual funds, they work on straight salary. They are not uh, the same as what he's talking about. But it's, again, you need help understanding the pros and cons of each of these. I think that's the key is knowing that there is someone out there, a profession and a professional. And those are the certified financial planners. Those are um, the ones who have the educational background like myself, you know, that uh, can answer these questions because this is what people are wanting, wanting us to know. Right. And, you know, Deborah, one of the questions that I know people ask you a lot when they come to see you is what about target date funds? Are target date funds, are they right for me because they're in my 401k? You know, you're right. This comes up frequently. And, you know, if there's anything, I'd say there's no, there's, there's so few reasons target date funds, um, are, are right for anyone. And a matter of fact, I'd say they're not right for anyone. And you must be thinking, well, <laughs> they've got to be right for someone. The answer is they're not right for anyone because they try to fit everyone during many years, some as many as 40 years. Yeah, assets in target date funds have swelled to more than $880 billion in 2016, according to Morningstar. And that's a number that's high enough to scare me. So why am I so much against target date funds? I would say three main reasons. And the first reason is bonds are not a sure thing for retirees. 
The first problem with target date funds is they're trying to predict the future by saying when you retire, it's a good idea to have most of your assets in bonds and not stocks. Well, we're currently at the end of a long bull market in bonds. And if your target date is close, your performance is going to suffer as bonds decline and interest rates rise just when retirement is around the corner and your account is then going to take a big hit. Target date funds are meant to become more conservative as you get closer to retirement because bonds are supposed to be less risky than stocks. While that's often true, any advisor with 30 years of experience would know this has not always been the case. Based on history, interest rates go up and down and the cycle may be long sometimes, but nothing stays the same forever. So that, yeah, so that's the first reason that I don't think target date funds are right for anybody. The second thing is that there are multiple, multiple fees inside these target date funds. The management of these fees, of these funds rather, and their fees can be outrageous. So I really, when I've looked at them, I really have a problem with that. You know, another reason target date funds aren't right for for um, most people is they do an educational disservice to investors. Finally, the product's oversimplification can result in a lack of education for investors about risk tolerance. Understanding your capacity for risk is important, and it comes through good investment education. A broker may ask you what your tolerance for risk is. If you don't understand how stocks work, and fear the unknown, you tell the broker you have a low tolerance despite being only 45 years old. Then you get steered toward low-risk, low-reward investments, which may not be the best for someone with plenty of time until retirement. And we've seen this in our office. That's right. And you know, se- people coming in with the wrong advice. That's right. And 70-year-olds should not have the same amount of their investments in stocks as 45-year-olds. They should have more money in shorter-term investments Maybe CDs and money markets, which are available on short-term notice for medical emergencies and other short-term needs. But this doesn't mean they should have nothing in stocks or even they shouldn't have just a very small amount. Because today, 70-year-olds have a very good chance of living well into their 90s. In the U.S., there are about 72,000 centenarians. And that number is expected to more than double in the next four years. So even at 70 one could easily have another 15 to 30 years to live. You know, life changes as time passes. It's the same with your retirement plans. If you want to have a good retirement, you need to spend the time necessary to understand your portfolio. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, and let's talk about your investments. And if they contain target dates, we'll discuss why they are or are not appropriate for you. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises of Lewis Financial Management in Midtown Raleigh. Call us with your questions, and we'd love to set an appointment with you. We can review your personal financial planning. That number to call is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. How many years we've been doing this, Linda? How many years we've been meeting? We've been meeting clients and helping them become financially independent. I think it's been thirty-four years. <laughs> we've been doing this radio show almost no, twenty-seven years. But I was just talking about how many years we've been watching people accumulate and become financially independent. It's been very rewarding. Yes, it has. And you know, everybody, 
everybody has their own story, plus or minus a few zeros, right? That's what you always <laughs> because say. Because some folks, you know, most of our clients are just hardworking, wonderful people, two income earner families, and, you know, diligent, habitual, and very interesting people. And you now, know, Linda. I was going to say, you know, one of those questions is a perfect segue to another thing we wanted to bring up tonight was the topic of reverse mortgages. Yeah, I wanted to have a time to touch this a little bit, Linda, because a reverse mortgage can be a great way for retirees to create an extra stream of income without having to make any loan payments. However, a reverse mortgage is a major financial decision, and like any major financial decision, it's really important to know exactly what you're getting into before you commit. So here's a few things that you need to know about reverse mortgages, the pros and cons of this option, and we do like them a lot at Lewis Financial Management. So if you're a senior citizen, you might be considering a reverse mortgage for yourself, or if you're a child of a senior citizen, you might be considering it for mom or dad. So, Doug, what is a reverse mortgage? Well, the reverse mortgage or home equity conversion mortgage, we call them Hickam's home equity conversion mortgage, has been in existence since 1988, and it's an FHA insured program. They were created in, in order to give retirees an additional option to create income. So unlike a traditional mortgage where you make payments to a bank over time, a reverse mortgage is the exact opposite arrangement where a bank makes payments to you in exchange for equity in the, in the home. In other words, a bank is lending a homeowner money so that it can acquire equity in the home. So the bank's paying me if I'm getting a reverse annuity mortgage. Well, who can get one? They're not available to everybody. In order to get one of these, four specific conditions need to be met. Number one, you need to be at least 62 years old. Number two, you have to conform to HUD standards. That means no co-ops and buildings with more than four housing units are eligible. No manufactured homes built before 1976. Number three, the equity in your home must be sufficient to justify the reverse mortgage. And number four, the reverse mortgage lender must be the first lien holder. Now, here's how it works. When you obtain a reverse mortgage, there are a few different ways it can work for you. The one I like, though, and the only one I like is you tell the bank you want monthly payments to go all of your life and your wife's life, and that's it. And you never have to pay the bank back. It's a beautiful arrangement. It's a... I think I'm hearing the music. I better stop right now. If you have questions about reverse annuity mortgage for yourself, call us at the office at 919-872-7000. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. And we'll hear you uh, when you call us. We're looking forward to meeting with you. Don't forget, we're on next Saturday night also, as well as Sunday night. Everyone have a great week. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 
919-USA-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF.